Woe to them, Jude says, woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. If you've been around for the last few weeks, if you've been here, we've seen something of the nature of the false teaching in Jude. That is, how it was worked out and expressed in terms of false doctrine, wrong things believed, but also how that was linked with ungodliness and immorality, how that has been worked out, lived out sinfully, godlessness. If you remember, verse 4 seems to be at the heart of it in lots of ways. Um, Do you remember his description of them? They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. And if Jude has taught us, at least the last couple of weeks, something of the nature of what's going on, description of them using the Old Testament, using extra-biblical sources even, um, the difference this week is we begin to see the effects, we see how it's worked out, what it looks like in real life for this week. I I guess we, we might be tempted just to think, well, false teaching is bad doctrine, doesn't matter that much in one sense. It's not ideal, but surely no one gets hurt. Can't it just be a matter of preference? Just their take on stuff? You know, you have your ideas, I'll have my ideas. We'll allow ourselves a bit of room, a bit of wiggle room. We'll be sort of relativistic like our culture. And actually what we see here in these verses is no, definitely not. And we might struggle with it again, it might be difficult for us, but Jude is very clear, people do get hurt, and actually false teaching leads to destruction, to destroys lives, and it will eventually lead people to hell, he says. Maybe you think that sounds a bit harsh. Is it too much? Am I exaggerating there? In one sense it doesn't matter what I think, let's have a look at what Jude says. Um, And verse 11 is where we're going to jump in. Um, for this week. And if you like, verse 11 is a tight suitcase all packed together with all kinds of ideas. Three 
known and familiar Old Testament passages crushed into one verse, I'm assuming I take it that his initial readers will have been familiar with them. Um, Let's have a look at them. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain, first one. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error, the second one. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion, the third one. So, they're taken the way of Cain. You may well know that's a Genesis 4 reference. Do you remember? Cain, brother of Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. The story goes, Abel gave an acceptable sacrifice to the Lord. Cain didn't give an acceptable sacrifice. Once it's in Genesis 4, it's not perhaps entirely clear why that is. It's clarified later in the scriptures for us. Um, But what we do know is that um, Cain was jealous of Abel and his brother, and it wasn't just a normal sort of sibling rivalry, you know, brothers will be brothers. Um, No, he killed him, and then he lied to God, refusing to master his his sin as God had warned him to. And so why Cain here in Jude? I take it Cain stands as an example of someone who refuses to obey God. And so someone who shows the terrible consequences and outworking of that as they sin. Someone whose disobedience of God essentially leads to the death of another. To take the way of Cain is to follow self. Even, strikingly, even in the service of God, his jealousy came because his sacrifice, his brother's sacrifice, was accepted above his own. So there's Cain, verse 11, first little bit. The second bit then is um, Balaam. He turns up, if you remember, in Numbers 22 to 24. If you were around at Magdalen Road, um, when would it have been our last morning series back in, well, the last Old Testament morning series back in sort of May, June of last year. I think that's right. Am I right there? Was it year before that? Was it year before that? Goodness me, doesn't time fly? Um, <laughs> fascinating encounter between this guy Balaam Um, but to cut a long story short he sought to block the people of God to stop God blessing his people um, and entering the land he had promised them and then by and by they end up in mass sexual immorality 24,000 of them were then put to death Um, Balaam's reason was greed essentially got it here rushing for profit Again, draw the parallels, says Jude, between ungodly men who are in it for themselves. And the final one is again from Numbers, and it's the story of Korah. He was a priest. Um, And if you remember him, he got fed up with the leadership of Moses, um, rebelled against him. And so Moses then asks the Lord, decide between us, who is the legitimate leader here? Um, and Korah and his men were all killed. Again, draw the lines. Rival leadership of God's people. We see it's not far from the situation here where you've got a, a crowd who are within teaching unhelpful things. Again, Korah and his, his guys were judged and um, put to death. So if you like, three passages in one verse that show us how dangerous false teaching is and the outworking of it. All three of them you get a doubting and a distorting of who God is, of his word, of his character. All three of them lead to disaster. 
And they all concern the people of God who should have known better. They all failed to listen to God, to trust him, to ignore him. They all didn't do as he said. They thought they knew what was best. And so Jude wants to remind them of their past, that they will trust him rather than these leaders. Look at how he describes these leaders um, from verse 12 onwards. These people are blemishes at your love feasts, eaten without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Jude gets his sort of poet on, doesn't he? Lots of metaphors and ideas, but the reason he speaks like that, I take it, is they show you where where their true colours are seen. They don't deliver what they promise, these leaders. These false teachers are promising much, but delivering little. Um, So you see that in verse 12. They are shepherds who feed only themselves. Imagine church lunch. Um, They are like the naughty kids, some of them mine, who leap to the front of the queue um, and fill their trays with food, um, not caring about anyone else, but just looking out for number one. Rather than looking after the sheep, these so-called shepherds are feeding only themselves. They're not looking after the people of God. They, they may look impressive, they may sound convincing or persuasive, but look at their lives and you will see who they are in it for. They, they don't deliver what they promise. And then he piles up these metaphors, these analogies, and they are clouds without rain. Again, imagine you're a Palestinian Christian, a hot, dusty climate You spot a huge cloud coming your way and you're thinking, yes, here it comes. My crops are in need of water. My livelihood depends on this rain. Everyone is waiting. The clouds promise so much. This cloud matters so much. There's food on the table, money in the bank. And it just floats by. And the promise of rain is not realised. You've been duped into thinking it's going to provide I take it these teachers' promises sound great. But nothing comes from it. They don't deliver what they promise. The autumn tree without fruit, it's not produced its crop. Autumn trees with fruit are essentially for one thing. Their raison d'etre is to produce fruit. That is what they're all about, but they don't deliver on their promise. And then the wild waves of the sea. Verse 13. I think the sea, destructive, dangerous. And actually all they deliver in one sense is chaos and disorder and sea scum. Foaming up their shame. They don't deliver what they say they will. They just deliver horrible stuff. Wandering stars. I think Wandering Stars, for me, is a hugely evocative image and a picture. Before the days of maps and GPS and mobile phones and finding your way around the place, stars were how ancient mariners would find their way. Um, They would rely on them as fixed points of reference for travel. 
You use the stars to reach the destination. And so a wandering star is a great picture, isn't it? A deceptive leader, a, a compass without a needle, a leader who promises security, who promises they'll get you somewhere, they promise you the safe road home, and then they just deliver uncertainty and danger. Follow me and I'll get you to where you want to get to. And you follow them and you end up lost. They don't deliver what they promise. Of course, the um, application, one application must be for us to take care. The effects of false teaching can be devastating. False doctrine leads to false practice, which leads to hell, finally. And sadly, there are no shortage of examples to show in our times just how devastating false teaching can be. It can ruin churches and ruin lives. I was remembering um, this a little while ago. Um, i trying to think of a helpful example. Um, and I've gone for this because it was fairly high profile in the national press and therefore the, sort of, um, the details were out there, if you like. But it was... Um, from something called the 9 o'clock service based in Sheffield. Um, some of you will be old enough to remember this. Others, just look at me in your sort of youthful vigour. You can't clue what I'm talking about. It was a congregation of an Anglican church um, in Sheffield and it started off with a no doubt great desire to reach the young people of the town with the gospel. There was an edginess and a kind of eclecticness to it. I think there were... Um, the kind of the time sort of trance music that kind of stuff so I think there was that kind of stuff going on um, in many ways there was a forerunner of the emergent church movement which some of you will have heard of um, the vicar was a man called Chris Brain um, but as things unfolded it became clear that his doctrinal teaching was off on various things there was sort of a new ageism and a mysticism and other things sort of melted in with the word of God there um, and then with that, as is often the case, came lifestyle issues. God's word is left behind, moral standards are left behind. Um, and that was what happened. And it was no surprise in one sense, although it was very sad to find sexual morality at the very heart of it, all centred around this guy, manipulating people, using people, dominating people. And of course the papers, because it got out there, the papers and the sceptics had an absolute field day. Um, And people's lives were destroyed. And you see something of that maybe going on here, this idea of false doctrine leading to false lifestyle this exchanging the grace of God into a license for immorality. In one sense, this nine o'clock service is a textbook, I think, example of some of the things going on in Jude. A leader with charisma following, promises so much, but doesn't deliver. Ends up bringing destruction and chaos and brokenness um, 15, 20 years later still. Um, Another application, I think, it's worth saying, is... Please pray for your leaders and your teachers. Pray for those who will be future church leaders and church teachers. The flip side of Jude, in one sense, is the amazing good that Christian leaders can can bring about when God's word is opened up helpfully. 
they faithfully teach it. But again, the damage that can happen where the scriptures are unhelpfully opened up. It's encouraged and challenged me to pray for others um, who have the privilege of teaching God's word. Friends I was at Bible college with, friends around the UK, friends around the world even. Um, Friends to watch their life and their doctrine closely. Because because Satan loves to divide churches. He loves for um, leaders to get things wrong in such a way that they don't deliver and people are duped. But as we've seen again, and it came up last week as well, Jude in one sense says, don't be surprised by these people. Don't be surprised by what is going on. And so verse 14, you get this... um, 14 to 15, you get this interesting quotation, it seems, um, from the book of Enoch. So Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. It seems to be that he's saying... God is going to come and judge these people, these ungodly sinners who have just spoken against him in their ungodly acts and in their ungodliness. That seems clear in one sense. We know Jesus will come back. We know he will judge. We don't exactly know, I believe, where this is coming from. If you read the book of Enoch, it's it's not completely clear. Um, Enoch, we know, is a slightly sort of shadowy character whom the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 5, walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. But it seems to be, again as last week, Jude is speaking their language, quoting their sources to help them understand what is going on here. And if it is the book of Enoch, um, the footnote, as you can see, thinks it probably is, I'm probably persuaded. But again, remember, that doesn't make Enoch inspired. People can get slightly muddled about this or confused about this. Paul, you remember, quotes from various poets from various other sources. Um, Acts 17, he quotes from a guy called Aratus. 1 Corinthians 15, he quotes from a guy called um, Menander. Um, Titus 1, Epimemendes. We don't say that the Apostles' use of those quotes makes them divine in any way. But actually he's trying to speak to a people in their language to say, this is to be expected, this is okay, they will be judged. These teachers are ungodly and God will deal with them. And so Enoch warns us, um, but more than that as well, the apostles warn us too, verse 17, 18, 19. Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirits. The apostles, Jesus himself, said these things will happen. Remember, Jesus speaks Mark 13, watch out that no one deceives you. Paul in Ephesus, Acts 20, speaks to the elders there as he leaves and says, 
be pretty terrifying. There will be false teachers who will rise up from your own number. Well, there's John writing and, and warning people to beware of the Antichrist. That is literally those people who will put themselves against Christ by their teaching. The apostles said they would come. And so we shouldn't be surprised as and when they do. It's striking, isn't it? When you put it as starkly as that, it struck me this week that you begin to see perhaps why one of the key roles of elders in a church is to guard the flock. Teaching truth, but also correcting. Training, but also admonishing. In fact, I wonder, as an aside almost, you can come and chat to me afterwards about this, whether the elder passed the qualification of being able to teach is maybe less about a gift of being able to engage people with a 30-minute monologue, 35, at the front of a room, but maybe being able to teach is more to do with the soundness of the teaching, the, the health of the content of church leaders, rather than the giftedness of communication that we often see it is. When you read books like Jude or multiple other New Testament books, you begin to see the danger of the time and the need to have sound teaching and leaders who could ensure that. Verse 18 is, um, is an interesting one as well for us because it, it says in the last times. That is the shorthand between Jesus' first coming and his return which means now, which means it still applies today which means when it says they are people who will divide you, then we say, yes, false teaching still divides churches. Um, I remember as a student, um, not so long ago, a uh, little while ago, um, on Birmingham campus, uh, there were some very friendly and very nice people um, who came, we found that later, from a Christian cult, and they sounded persuasive, and they were nice, and some people were duped, but others smelt something was wrong. There was a division as they came in with their slightly different take on various things. Interestingly, again, particularly to do with grace, perverting the grace of our God. And so when it says they are people, do you see, who follow, verse 19, mere natural instincts, again... I think we can nod as we hear some fishy teaching around the place, whether it's online or on TV or various places, but in a world of sort of self-actualization, where self is at the heart of our world and this new teaching or new morality is sort of couched in the language of freedom and being who you were made to be and there's very little talk of repentance, very little talk of um, saying sorry to God and turning back to him. But rather, it's all about what we can get from it. Then I wonder whether their things begin to resonate and chime. Because the thing is, what we normally do, often what we do, is natural. What is natural to us is sinful. We are naturally sinners. We naturally, our hearts run away from God. Naturally, we want to be told that we can do what we want to do and run towards self. And if we find teachers who will justify that for us, 
if we find people who will give us what our itching ears want to hear, people who will allow us to sin as we want to in our natural human selves, so that we won't have to battle against it, then we easily like that kind of teaching. We easily like to hear what they have to say. What Jude is getting at is the need for us to be prepared for these things. I don't know whether you ever, I hope you do, consider what is being said at the frontier, or if you listen to sermons online, or if you attend other churches, it is great and important to have your Bible open, because we should expect false teaching, it seems to me. Because the apostles warned us and because Jesus warned us. Some of you will know every, um, every four or five years as a family, we, we head out to the States. We have fam- um, family on the uh, West Coast. Um, and this time we went last summer, we went to a big theme park. Um, and there was this rickety old roller coaster, at least it wasn't, but that's how it's designed. You feel it's rickety. It makes an awful noise. Um, and having the children I do meant I was dragged onto this roller coaster. And do you know what? It was awful. I'm pretty sure I've still got neck pain, actually, ever since that time then. Body is thrown left and right and up and down. And it, you're juddering and juttering and going around the corners. And at the start of the day, we did this roller coaster. Um, didn't feel great for the next hour or so. The end of the day... We were dragged on it again. And the funny thing was, it was so much better. I don't think that's just we were kind of loosened up from a day of awful rides. But actually better that you remember what's going to happen. You remember from the first time round where you go and where the dips are and where the turns are and you're kind of ready for it. You are prepared for action. Where my neck still hurts. I think what Jude wants us to finish with as we end this little section is to be ready for the reality of false teaching and the danger that it can bring us into the fact that these people do not deliver when false teaching is heard and in our relativistic culture we might struggle with challenging people but when it is heard we need to remember it is not unsurprising I take encouragement God is good and he is still in control. We shall finish Jude next week. And it will be a bit more positive. So let me pray for us now. Father in heaven, we thank you for books like Jude that, that prepare us and remind us of the reality of false teachers and the outworking of their teaching. Lord, we we pray that we might so know you and know your word and your ways. That we can spot it and not be duped by it. Lord, we pray for our hearts as well that 
that actually quite like to hear certain messages, even though they might not be true. Because we have itching ears. Itching ears that want to be told we can live a certain way or do a certain thing. And so truths will be bent to make that acceptable. Lord, might we never pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. And I'll be praying for teachers in this country who open your word week by week by week. We pray that they would teach what is true and in line with the apostolic gospel. We pray that you would preserve them and give them courage, particularly as our culture is increasingly anti, anti-Jesus, anti the exclusivity of Jesus, anti what the Bible has to say about all kinds of things. And we pray as they open up your word week by week, we pray that the words that come from their mouths would bring life because they are your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.